Father, we lift up this time to you, Lord. We, we thank you for allowing us to be here. Lord, I know it's a light morning. There's many who are dealing with different issues and those who are preparing to go and see family this week and don't want to bring any type of sickness to them. So I pray for those that aren't here this morning, Lord, that you would just provide what they are seeking. Lord, that you would also keep us as here who are faithfully meeting, that you would keep us safe, Lord, that you would protect us. Lord, we are not doing this out of ignorance. We're not doing this out of spite. Lord, we're doing this because we love you and you have instituted the church. And we see that in the beginning of Acts. And, and they did not stop meeting, even though they were persecuted, even though people didn't want them meeting. Uh, they met from house to house. And I pray for that same faith that the early church had. And I pray that you'd speak to us this morning through these four verses as Peter uh, exhorts us and encourages us and, and shares with us uh, just some wisdom in regards to leadership within the church. So we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been talking about suffering and persecution, right, and how we are supposed to be prepared for it. And I think one of the big things that we talked about last Sunday was, uh, if, if I can remember clearly if it was last Sunday, how we should challenge ourselves and really ask, am I truly being persecuted, right? Because we should be being persecuted, right? I think of, okay, for an example, if I'm not being persecuted, then I'm not doing what God wants me to do when it, when it, in regards to the word, in regards to my lifestyle and how I should obey him. Because what that does is, when anytime I'm in darkness, light reveals the darkness, and darkness doesn't like that, and, the, and it essentially persecutes the light. Um, you just stand out, and people don't like it. So for an example, uh, Friday we went to the abortion clinic, and at one of the first two people that drove by us, one of the workers, uh, one lady was, was telling her what you're doing is wrong, and she just drove up and flipped her off, right? And so, I mean, that's a form of persecution, right? It's a whole lot heck of a nicer than getting rocks thrown at you. I will take the bird any day than a rock thrown at me. But, you know, we should be, be, we should be persecuted, right? Because we are standing up for what is right and what is truth. We're not to be persecuted because of our sin. We're not to be persecuted for anything other than being obedient and following Jesus. And so, with that, as we congregate as a church, in the time of persecution, in the time of suffering, we need good leadership. I mean, regardless, we as people just always need good leadership. Now, for us within the church, who is the leader? At Calvary Chapel, Clayton. Yeah. Correct answer is exactly what I was looking for. God. He is the head. Jesus. He is the head. Right? Even within the homes, right? You got uh, the husband and the wife. The word tells us that the husband is the head of that home. But the head of the husband is who? God, Jesus, right? So although we may have specific type of roles and positions within the church, we all have to understand, and we'll see this in verse 4 and as we study through this, that most importantly, every single person, regardless of position from if we were to, to rank it, which is dumb because that's not how it works anyways, from least to greatest, but there is no least to greatest in the church. We're all equal. We have different roles, but we're all equal. But from the least to the greatest, we all submit to Jesus, right? He is the head. As verse 4 says in chapter 5, that the chief shepherd, right? There is a chief shepherd 
and even those who shepherd the flock amongst the churches, those shepherds are even uh, fall submission to the chief shepherd. So during persecution, the people of God, they need good leadership and in God's divine wisdom, obviously he's smarter than all of us and he knows all, he instituted that there be these positions within the church because he saw in his earthly ministry, if you remember, he saw in his earthly ministry in Matthew 9 that he saw people walking about and wandering like, sh- like sheep that, had, that did not have a shepherd, right? Now, ultimately, they did not have Jesus, right? And, and part of our goal and our role as those who shepherd the flock here on earth within a church is to really point everyone to the true shepherd, which we see in John chapter 10, to Jesus, right? So he saw this in his earthly ministry, uh, and his plan is within local congregations, with local churches, uh, that there should be qualified men who oversee, or elders, within the church. And they have responsibilities to shepherd the flock, which we see here in these first four verses. So that's a little preface. Let's read it, and then let's talk about it. It says in verse 1 of chapter 5, 1 Peter, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So we're going to look at two things today. We're going to look at who are these men, right? Who are these elders that Peter is talking to? What are their, what are their qualifications? And then the second thing we're going to look at is, well, what, is, what are these four verses that he's exhorting them? What, what is he exhorting them to do? Okay, so their role, who they are, and then talking about these four verses and the exhortation that Peter gives to the elders. So uh, we saw, we see in Acts, right, where that's the beginning of the foundation of the church, right? When the power of the Holy Spirit rested upon the men and Peter Peter went out and he preached in Acts chapter 2 and it cut people to the heart and souls were saved that day. And it says that that souls were added to the church daily, right? Like it was, it was, it was insane, right? So for us here at the church, you know, on a Sunday, if I had to give you an average, it's like two people every Sunday who come to Christ, which is amazing, right? Two people. But then when you look back and you see thousands of people were being added to the church, I mean, you, sh- you see just the huge difference. People were ready for the word. They were hungry for the word. And when it was taught, it cut them to the heart to where they said, well, what, sh- what must we do to be saved, right? What do we have to do? I realize what you're saying is truth. I need the good shepherd. I need Jesus. What do I do to be saved? And what do you do? Well, first of all, you don't have to do anything, right? Jesus did it all. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess in your heart and you believe, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, you'll be saved, right? It starts with that, that salvation is given to you as a free gift through faith, which was given to you as a free gift, which is given to you by grace, right? You are saved by grace through faith, not of work. So it's nothing you do. But after you've been, you've received that beautiful and wonderful gift, you do something about it, right? It, it creates a heart of thankfulness and, 
reliance and dependence and trust in the one that gave you the gift, the, the gift giver. So you follow after the gift giver. You, you obey and you become, it's crazy because Jesus doesn't only just save us from our sin, right? Not only did he save us from our sin and the consequences and everything from it, but he also took the place of us, right? And he also said, okay, I want to have a genuine, true relationship with you. I mean, that's mind-blowing that the person that would save us, take our place, didn't just also just leave us there, but he wants to pursue us even further, right? So, uh, the beginning in Acts, we see, the again, the church forming. We see the congregations forming. And within that, there was an organized leadership of elders, okay? And within each church, you're going to see that there was a plurality of elders, that it wasn't just one elder within a church. There were multiple el elders. We see that in Acts 20 and in Acts 21. Now, when it comes to the word elder and the title elder, it's got different names for it, okay? So they're interchangeable. So throughout scripture, you'll hear, you'll hear um, elder. What are some other names that you think might be interchangeable with the word elder, the name? Okay, maybe. I don't know if that's in the word, though. That's kind of like a modern-day term. Mm, it's more of a teacher, so close. Anybody else? Elder. Deacon's actually a different role, but that's, that's good, which we won't be talking about deacons today. So you got elder, pastor, bishop, shepherd, and overseer. So, <laughs> so within those within those the, that those terms, they're all interchangeable. They all refer to the same p position here that Paul is talking about. In Acts 20, it talks about elders that are called overseers and they're charged to shepherd or pastor the church. In Titus 1, it talks about elders and bishops. Uh, those two names are used together. And then here in 1 Peter uh, 5, 1 and 2, we see elders, they're told to shepherd, and they're told to oversee. So we see the interchangeable names. It's, it's just the same position, so don't get, don't get confused by that. And it doesn't always have to do with older men, right? Like an elder doesn't always have to pertain to an older man. Now, the qualifications for elders, where do we find that in the Bible? Anybody know? You're like, I don't ever read that because it doesn't mean anything to me because I'm 14, right? Well, okay, let's look at it because it is important for you guys to understand now as you see those who are in a role of leadership that they, they fall under these qualifications because it's important that you understand it now and it's important that you understand it later so that when you are trying to look for a church, you're not just going to go by the name of the church, but you're going to look and see and kind of and kind of see well are they abiding by everything that the word says you know are they are these people qualified are they truly qualified so we see it in first timothy chapter three okay we're going to read that really quick first timothy three verses one through seven and then we're going to look at titus one verses five through nine so two two places two lists of qualifications for elders within the church now uh, my role here in the church would fall under this category. Uh, Ariana's dad, Pastor David, would fall under that, Pastor Kevin, and the four elders that I believe we have in the church, um, which would be uh, Mr. Luis, Pops, and Mike, and Dan. So uh, these, these seven guys who fall under this category. Now, we also, 
So, so our position's called pastor. The other four guys I just mentioned, they're called elders. Now, we also have different ministries within the church, and over each ministry is what we call an overseer, right? It's just different, different names, but we all have the same responsibility, and we all have the same qualifications that we're to live up to, right? So there's these seven guys plus a few others who are overseers within the church over different ministries. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It says, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, again, we see the interchangeable names, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So we see a few of the qualifications uh, there in 1 Timothy. Now, in Titus 1, verses 5 through 9, let's read this. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless, a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So there we see the qualifications. Now, just just for fun, I would love for you, uh, ladies, guys, you know, you're not, you can't be the husband of one wife, you can't be the husband of one wife, but just to look at yourself and see, can I even meet these expectations in my own life, right? Now, obviously, you don't have children and all these things, but the things that maybe can fall under uh, your life, it's a, it's a good thing to look at because, honestly, we should all be able to meet these qualifications if we are following Jesus Christ because it's as simple as that. It's not like, you know, you wake up every morning and there's a checklist, okay, don't be greedy today. You know, or, or don't, don't be violent today, or, you know, be hospitable, right? You don't have to really, like, think about those things. That's the nature of, of who you are as a new creature in Christ as you follow him, right? It's, it's what comes. It's like the fruit of the Spirit. It just comes naturally as you walk in the Spirit. So it's a good thing that you guys can look at for your own selves. But again, these are the qualifications specifically for these elders, overseers, bishops, pastors, shepherds, within the congregation, okay, with, within the body. Now, let's look at Peter's exhortation to them. We see the qualifications. Now let's look at the exhortation. He says in verse 1, The elders who are among you I exhort. Now remember, who is Peter writing to? Christians, the church, right? And so specifically within this church, he's exhorting the elders among the body there, Okay. And he says, I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, 
and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. So Peter, as he's writing to the elders and he's writing to the church, he comes at it from a position of not so much authority, although he could, right? Peter the apostle, he doesn't write in his apostolic authority and saying, this is what you should do because I'm telling you to do it, right? No, he comes at it from a, look guys, I'm on the same level as you. I, as a fellow elder, he says, I exhort you to do this. Now, what does exhort means, right? Because he's not prefacing mere suggestions, but he's also not coming from a a dictatorship of this is exactly what you, you know, like this is do it because I said so type thing, right? But he is, in a sense, exhorting them, not from mere suggestions, but hey, look, the Greek word exhort, parakaleo, it means to call to one side. It means to urge strongly, right? To appeal to, to urge, to exhort, to encourage. And so again, we see, as we saw last week, when he started off with the word beloved, right? That Peter is a gentle and loving guy. And so he's coming at it again from a perspective, I'm also a fellow elder. Now I want to encourage you to do this. You know, it's not like do it if you want, but it's also not, you know, pounding on top of their head, but they need to do this if they are considered elders within the church. So he's exhorting them. Well, what is he going to exhort them in? We're going to see that in verse 2. This is his appeal and his exhortation in verse 2. To shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, 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 eagerly. Now, the three words that we're going to see in these two verses that are synonymous are elders, shepherds, and overseers. Okay, elders, shepherds, and overseers. Now, the first exhortation in itself is that they are to shepherd the flock of God. Well, what does that mean? How do you shepherd the flock of God? You know what I love? Peter, Peter's like the best person to give this, uh, this word to the elders. Because Peter himself, we see at the end of the book of John, in John chapter 21, remember when he, before John 21, he rejected the Lord three times. Remember that? And, and, and at the third time, he rejected him, and the rooster crowed, and they just, Jesus' eyes and Peter's eyes locked. You remember that? And, he, and Peter just knew. He knew. And at that point, I believe that's when the, the guilt and the conviction came in, and he, and he repented. You know, and he realized, man, I have sinned against my God. I have sinned against Jesus. And in the end of John, uh, they go out fishing and they have breakfast together and Jesus reveals himself to them. They have breakfast together. And he tells Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? You remember that? And he's like, well, yeah, of course I love you. And then Jesus says what? What does he say to Peter? He says, feed my sheep. Or feed my lambs, I'm sorry, feed my lambs. And then he goes on to say again, well, Peter, do you love me? He says, of course I do. I just said it, right? Well, he says, then, then tend my sheep. And then the third time, Jesus is like, do you, do you love me? He's like, dude, yes, I love you, okay? I get it, yes. And Jesus said, well, then feed my sheep, right? So Peter, Peter at that moment was restored and forgiven for what he had recently done. But now he was given a commission and a call to go and shepherd the flock that was among him 
to tend to them and to feed them. Well, how do you do that? Well, it's, it's by following the true shepherd first and foremost, which is Jesus, which we see in John chapter 10, which we had time to read it, but we don't. But pretty much the entirety of John chapter 10, we see Jesus showing and revealing to the disciples that he is the true shepherd, that he is the one that we follow. David himself knew that when he wrote Psalm chapter 23, right? The Lord is my what? He's my shepherd, right? We are, we are in comparison to sheep, and he is the shepherd. And, and it's a beautiful comparison. And oftentimes we look at, wow, these sheep are stupid, they're dumb, they can't get up on their own. You know, and, and, and not every single comparison that a literal sheep has is compared to, you know, the, the Christian, but it is a good comparison. And it's not so much the focus of where we need to look at, wow, these sheep are horrible and these Christians are horrible. No, it's, it's let's focus on the shepherd first and foremost, right? Because he is the focus. He is what is good. And Jesus takes on that shepherd for us in a spiritual sense. He protects us. He guides us. You know, he, 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 he disciplines us. He does everything that is needed for us. So, but in that, we're also told that there should be elders and leaders within the church who can shepherd the flock in the physical sense here on earth, right? But again, those same people also submit to the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. So part of tending to the people of God, an elder must be, again, able to meet the qualifications that we just read. And one of those main things is to be able to teach. Well, to teach what? How to ride a bike? How to ride a bike? Is that what it is? How to, I don't know, play a guitar? What is it? The Word, right? The Word of God, to be able to rightly divide the Word of God, right? To be able to teach it. And he also says in, in Titus, as we read earlier, that by sound doctrine, both you exhort and convict those who contradict, right? So part of that is teaching the Word of God and and I'll tell you this, there is nothing more important than the Word of God, right? There is nothing more important. Could we do without worship at church? Yeah. Could we do without, I don't know, we can't do without communion. <laughs> we can't do without prayer. And we can't do without fellowship, right? And we can't do without the word of God. Those are four things that we see in Acts 2.42 that are the foundation and the core of the church. But the word of God is vital because it is the word of God that is living, that is active. It's the one that pierces to the heart and is the word of God that can transform and change a person. It's not by man's mere words or suggestions or actions. It is by the word of God alone. And so that's why it's vital and it's important. I mean, that's why we, 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 we here at Calvary Chapel Clayton you know, this is important to us, that no matter what we do, we're always in the Word, because there's a, a vitality to it. So to be able to teach it is, one, again, one of the responsibilities here, as they shepherd the flock of God, which is among them. Now, Peter says that the flock that is among you, right, that is among you, their responsibilities for the sheep and the congregation in which they serve, right, not for the congregation that's down the street, although we have to understand that we're all one body, right? That if we, if we have this commonality in Jesus Christ and that our doctrine's not off when it comes to Jesus as the God, as God, and that there is only one way to the Father and that's through Jesus, and that we are saved by grace through faith and not of works, that we, 
if we can have that in common, regardless of the name of the church, that we are one body. But the role, again, for the elder within the body, within the congregation, is to serve their own flock. You know, he says in Acts 20, Paul says to the Ephesian elders that they, they are to, to shepherd the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. Right? To make them as overseers. Then Peter goes on to say in verse 2, not only to shepherd the flock of God which is among you, but to serve as overseers. To serve as overseers. So here is kind of the, the it's summarized. The role of the elder is to serve as overseers. Right? So you're going to be serving the flock of God and you're going to oversee them. Okay? You're going to oversee them. And he goes on to say, not by compulsion, but willingly. What do you think that means? I want you to want to love me, right? I want you to want to do it. That's what Peter's saying. I want you to want to serve and not be forced or fall into it, but to have a willingness, right? So Peter here, in in these next three things, Peter's going to move from the functions of an elder to the attitudes that are required of an elder. And the first thing is a willingness, right? The first characteristic is willingness. Not because you must, but because you are willing. Now, compulsion means uh, necessity, pressure, and constraint, right? And that's kind of sad when it comes to the church is, you know, when it comes to serving just in general, here specifically we're talking about the role of an elder, but serving in general, a lot of you here in this room serve in different areas. A lot of you serve like the cafe or parking or children's in different roles. You know, Elisha's doing announcements up here. You guys are praying up here. You know, and part of it should be done, you know, I will challenge you and encourage you and exhort you, but in the same sense, there should also just be a willingness, right? It's sad when the church has to make a Sarah McLaughlin video to get people to serve in the children's ministry, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, there's a desperation that we need people to serve, and that shouldn't be that way. As followers of Jesus, we should have a desire and a want to serve one another. There should be a willingness, not a pressure, and not by compulsion. You know, it's sad to see that sometimes, and when sometimes we see that with the role of the elders, is that they can be forced into this position. Now, that's not true within this church, but I have seen it within other churches. And oftentimes, when you're forced to do something, how does that go? Not well, right? And that's kind of why we try not to force people to do anything here, because you're not going to do it with the same heart as you would if you willingly joined to do something, right? In the same way that, that God doesn't force us to love him, right? Because it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the same type of love that we had if we came to him, right? Now, he comes to us and he initiates everything, right? And we love because he first loved. But again, if we were forced to do it, it's a little bit different. So there should be a willingness and not compulsion, in the end of verse 2, he says, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, right? There should be no dishonest gain, whether that's trying to get into some type of position or authority, or more, most often it has to do with finances and has to do with money. An elder, uh, an elder can be and should be, if, if possible, compensated for what they do, right? So again, a good example, I'll just use myself is this is now, as of April last year, my full-time job, right? Before that, I basically kind of worked two jobs, 
but I didn't get paid for one of them. But now I have the ability to do more, right? I'm more available. Um, I, I have more time to, to actually spend with my family. Um, so it is a good thing. We see that in 1 Timothy uh, 5, verses 17 and 18. It says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Right? That's why when we packed up the uh, Halloween candy, we gave you guys some candy. Right? You guys were in the labor. Don't muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, right? And the laborer is worthy of his wages. That's what 1 Timothy 5.18 says. The laborer is worthy of his wages. So an elder it can be compensated, right? But that should not be the motivation. <laughs> and you would come to find out that that wouldn't be a motivation anyways. You, you do better off at McDonald's. So elders, they should be eager for their service, but not eager for money okay now there are thousands of churches in america and a lot of them are different in how they compensate and how they run things you know and there can be you know the whole you know scheming things to to take money from the tithes and and trying to get paid more than what you are actually worth you know so there is times where this can actually happen in an elder as we see part of their attitude should not be for dishonest gain but eagerly now, in verse 3, we see another one. Nor is being lords over those who entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So in verse 3, Peter is exhorting them to not be the type of leader that leads by a whip, right? But leads by an example. You know, to not, you know, drive you to do something and lording it over you, right? That's exactly what he says, to lord over those entrusted to you. Lording it over in the Greek, it means to bring into subjection, become master, gain dominion over, or subdue. Now, again, hopefully you don't see that here within this church, but this is also a thing that you would see within churches if they go this route of having this type of attitude where they lord things over people that they are entrusted to. But Jesus himself, he specifically warns against this kind of leadership, right? Now, in Mark, when James and John, and they were, they were arguing back and forth, and they said, they, they come up to Jesus. Remember, they come up to Jesus, and they said, Lord, uh, do, do anything that we ask of you, right? Essentially, that's what they said. Whatever we're about to ask you, do it. I want you to go and try to do that with your parents. And they were, they were questioning, and they were trying to figure out, well, who's going to sit at the right hand of God? You know, trying to understand the power. Uh, they were jockeying for places of power. And Jesus used that as a perfect example to teach them uh, the, the leadership style that he desires. Okay, the leader, leadership style that he desires. In Mark chapter 10, verse 42 and 44, it says, But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. So what's the type of leadership style that, that we should have? Is we should lead by example by serving one another, that, that we are last, right? That we are slave, right? But sometimes we see that within churches where that's not the case, where if you want to come talk to me, you got to first kiss my ring, right? 
that you, that you got to bow down or you got to do this or that, that I'm, I'm better than you. And that's not the case. We should have a, a lifestyle and a serving style of, of submission and uh, being, being a servant. You know, and in the common misconception or the common place that we see within the world is that if you want to be a leader, you have to have this domineering type of attitude, right? Otherwise, people are going to trample all over you. It's a self-centered type of attitude. It's a self-centered type of point of view. But again, Jesus insists that we, first as Christians, but here even as we, we try to gain a role as an elder, that we are to have a servant leadership approach. Okay, and in verse, at the end of verse 3, he says, but being an example to the flock. So we're an example. Just as sheep are best led, right? How does a shepherd lead the sheep? Who leads them? Right? They follow, and they're not driven. It is the same thing with the people of God. It is best if they are led by the example of serving than it is to drive them. In verse 4, we'll close here. In verse 4, Peter says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So remember, he's still talking to the elders. And he says, look, there is a lot of responsibility and a lot that is upon you. You have to meet these qualifications. You have to live and lead by this standard. And I want you to shepherd the flock among you that I'm giving you. That's a lot. That's a, that's a big burden to bear. And it's not easy. It is not easy. But Jesus says it is rewarding. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now, what does this term chief shepherd mean in the Greek? Uh, the Greek noun, I can't pronounce it, archipoemen, uh, it means beginning, and it means first, and then shepherd. So it's the beginning of the first shepherd. And Peter uses this term to remind his fellow elders that none of them are the chief shepherd, that none of them are the chief pastor, right? So any pastor, any elder, any overseer within this church is not the chief shepherd. Who is that again? It's Jesus, right? We will always point to Jesus. We are all going to stand before Jesus alone, that I am going to stand before Jesus, and I will bow down, and I will confess that Jesus is Lord, just like you guys will. I am no greater and no better. I have a different role, right? We have a different role. Even the senior pastor is not the chief pastor. He's not the chief shepherd. Christ is the ultimate pastor and the ultimate shepherd. He is the one that all pastors and leaders must answer and give an account to. In Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, which we're going to talk about next Sunday. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. They have a huge responsibility, but with that huge responsibility comes a great reward, a promise of recognition for their faithful service. And Peter says that they will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And it reminds me of the same type of inheritance that we will all receive. It is the inheritance that, that what is special about it, what does it not do? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, I'll just give you a hint. It's the same as this crown of glory. It does not fade away, right? It does not fade away. In 1 Peter 1, 4, it says, An inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, 
reserved in heaven for you if you are born again. What I love about the rewards of Jesus is that, one, he always notices that, that nothing will go unnoticed, even the things that man will not notice. But second, is that the reward is everlasting. The reward, the reward it, it, can, it is not corrupted, it cannot fade, it cannot uh, go away, nobody can take it from you. It is an everlasting reward. And it's, it's, it's beautiful, but it's also hard to understand because we live in, a, in, a, in an age and a culture where we want to be reward, rewarded right here and right now. Right? I want you to recognize and I want the recognition now and I want the reward now. But Jesus is like, no, you, you've got to wait. You've got to be patient. You may not see any type of reward now, but there is an inheritance that is reserved in heaven for you. And there is a crown of glory waiting that does not fade. How awesome is that? Again, it doesn't sound awesome now because we don't get anything right now. Although we do get his presence. We get the Holy Spirit. We get all these blessings and everything. But so much more awaits for us in eternity. So that's it. Let's pray. Next week, we're going to be talking to the younger people who must submit themselves to the elders. That'll be fun, huh? No. I'm one of those. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just lead us as we, we go forward in this week, as we visit family, as family comes to visit us. Lord, help us to be an example, Lord, to our family members who uh, do not know you. Lord, those who have even openly rejected you. Lord, help us to be able to give a defense for the hope that is within us. Lord, help us to do it in humility and in love. But Lord, also give us wisdom and boldness to stand up for what we know is truth. Lord, even if we know that persecution may arise. So we thank you for uh, the elders within the church and, and this role that you have appointed. Lord, we pray for those who are in leadership within our church that they would continue to live up to the standards of the qualifications that you have set forward. Lord, that they would have the same attitude and mindset that Peter has given us in these first four verses. Lord, we thank you for them. Lord, we thank you for the leading of your Holy Spirit. And we do thank you for our pastor that does shepherd us here, Lord, who, who ultimately gets the leading from you and trust in you. So we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.